0: Good morning, and again, welcome to Riverwood. And this feels really, really weird today. Uh, you know, packing up my my vehicle last night and loading everything but my normal stuff was was odd. But it didn't really hit me until this morning. And we're setting up, and then Linnell, uh, you know, she comes in and she's like, "Did you bring this?" And it's like, "I think so. I'm not sure what I brought. I brought all kinds of different things, except for everything that I normally bring." Um, so for those of you. As a as a guest of ours or visiting for your first time, uh, I am Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and usually um, I am leading worship and not doing the speaking. And uh, Pastor Aaron and his wife and the family are gone celebrating their parents' 50th or his parents' 50th wedding anniversary this weekend. So um, it is what it is. So uh, thank you, Joe, for for helping you know at least break up the uh, uh, the voice the voice tones anyway. And uh, the piano player is pretty cute, so maybe this could work out and so, uh... Yes, really, so it's 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 good to be here. Glad to have the kids in here with us uh, this morning. And we do have, um, even though there's not Kids Creek, we do have, as I understand it, a play area for the, the young babies. If you need a cry room or a cry space and uh, they get totally bored with with me, um, then there is an area set up in there that you can escape for a bit and hopefully still be able to hear kind of what's going on. We don't want you to lose connection by any means. Um, and uh, in your, your handouts, your programs bulletin, you do see, and don't be scared by this. I promise, it's not as bad as it looks. Two pages of notes, and uh, we're going to make you work this morning. But if you just got one, and if, if obviously, there—I don't know how many bulletins we had and how many families got what. But if you would like another handout yourself, you can slip your hand ups, and we'll have uh, some ushers make sure and bring those to you. Did anybody not get one? That wants one? That you're a note taker? You? Okay, there's a couple, Miguel. So. So, Joel read for us, uh, and we're going to continue. Aaron asked me, he said, do you want to preach on something that you just feel more led and want to preach on, or do you want to continue the His Story series? And I'm like, ooh, that'll be a good challenge instead of me just talking about worship, which is what everybody would expect me to talk about, and uh, any articles that I've ever written and stuff like that. It's like, well, you're the worship pastor, so why don't you uh, write up? Um, our monthly newsletters on worship. So you guys were the recipients of that not too long ago, a couple months back. And so I thought, yeah, this would be great. And um, it'll challenge me to dive into something new, to kind of look at a a different perspective um, as a a worship pastor. And what does a life of worship look like through the eyes of the disciples? So this isn't a worship message by any means. um, But as we look at the, the first disciples and you know the, the video that the kids did a great job, and they 'll make them fishers of fish, fishers of men. What does that mean but a fisher a fisherman back then um, and, and some of the some of the story and there 's only so much that we could get into, but some of the story was Jesus walks up to them, and some of them have been fishing all day and not catching anything. So what does Jesus do to communicate to those guys on a level that they could understand that okay there 's something different there 's something powerful about. The words that this man says to us. And he says, Go out a little bit farther, cast your nets. And they're like, Well, but teacher, we've been fishing all day long and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we'll do it. You know, we've heard about you before, so we'll, we'll just give this a try. So they go out, and it says that their boat almost sank because of so much fish that they pulled in. So Jesus had their attention, right? Um, the apostles of the New Testament. Uh, live through what is arguably the most significant era of human history. They experienced the personal entrance of God into history, and um, in the person of Jesus, their Messiah, uh, which everybody had heard about from the Old Testament prophecies, and they they had been hearing word of of this man named Jesus coming from town to town and doing all of these miraculous events. But now is where Jesus gets personal, and he starts building. His team. So we're we're gonna see two different, um, two different kind of titles. So I want us to understand first as we're looking at disciples. There's a difference between apostles and disciples. And the best way that I can explain that and what from my reading is disciple is a term used to designate all of those who believed in Jesus and have followed him as their savior apostles and what we'll see in a little bit later some of the scripture passages it says multitudes and large crowds of people were following him so they would be considered disciples because they believed in what he was doing they they wanted to learn from this great teacher they they believed that he was uh, the Christ you know the Messiah the, the sent one but out of those large crowds Jesus chose just a few and specifically chose them to be his apostles, and the apostles are, are designated as, um, designated as those who have been commissioned to be leaders of the church and jesus 's representatives with the with the gospel message. So from out of a large group of his disciples, he chose twelve to be sent out as his apostles. Um, as we look, just a snapshot of who the disciples were uh, we won 't go through all of them, but Peter, Andrew, James, and John they were partners. In the successful fishing trips, a lot of what the video was showing, and not all of the, the disciples or the apostles were, were fishermen. Um, Matthew was a hated tax collector. We still, to this day, don't like tax collectors, right? And it's probably one of the worst jobs in the world is working for the, for the, the county. Uh, you, know, you, you pull up in the driveway, and you can just feel the, the tension in the air. The, just the air stands still. So um, we can relate to Matthew a little bit. Simon the Zealot uh, was a revolutionary who was willing to die for the cause of liberating Israel from Rome. So under normal circumstances, every one of these guys from fishermen to to murderers to to tax collectors and, and thieves, and even to the extent of Judas, right? And we all know what Judas did, but yet Jesus chose him knowing in advance that this guy he 's going to teach us a a great life lesson here he 's going to betray me, but i 'm still choosing him out of anybody else that he could have chosen. He chose jesus to Judas to be one of the twelve so under normal circumstances, any of these guys in in the in one room or a small group together may be ready uh, to stick a knife in each other at any point, but through their diversity and their individual encounters with Jesus. He transformed them into a unified group of men dedicated to declaring uh, Jesus to be the one and only way to eternal life. Peter's preaching, Peter was another disciple, Peter's preaching at Pentecost is a, is a perfect example of his dramatic transformation. You know, from one who denied Jesus and, and continued to deny him even after he followed him and when Jesus predicted that. But he fearlessly preached to the multitudes in Jerusalem, even to the extent of giving his own life for that. The Apostle Paul wasn't one of the elect, but I thought this was interesting, that in a lot of Paul's writings, he always refers to himself Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And you'll notice that in in Ephesians, Galatians, um, a lot of Paul's writings, he introduces himself as an apostle of Jesus. And and if we understand the difference between apostle and just being being somebody who has heard of Jesus, we understand that Paul was, uh, although not one of the twelve disciples, He was a former Pharisee, somebody who went his whole day and his whole life was about finding Christians and murdering them uh, because he was just that against it. But yet God met him on a road to Damascus. He had a dramatic transformation and a life change, and that proves the point that when we when we have an encounter with Jesus, he takes our old self and he throws it away, and he makes us into something new, and Jesus changes everything. You're going to hear that term a lot this morning, that an encounter with Jesus and that relationship, he changes everything. Some of Paul's writings uh, to Titus, uh, which was kind of after effect of, of Paul's uh, his conversion, his ministry, yeah, well, he writes part of his testimony to a letter in Titus, and, and just a few verses here. I think it may even be on the screen, I believe. Yeah, but when the goodness of God and his love for mankind appeared. Now, keep in mind, Paul, somebody who used to murder Christians, right? He says he saved us, talking about Jesus, not by the works of righteousness that we had done, because had Paul done anything good to that point to deserve Jesus and his mercy and his grace, but he goes on to say, but according to his, Jesus' mercy, or God's mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out this Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. So Paul doesn't sound like a testimony from a guy who, who hates Jesus, who hates Christianity, right? So, obviously, a major transformation. So, the apostles seem an unlikely group to be used by Jesus to establish the church and proclaim his message of salvation and transformation. But what empowered them was not their own charisma or their uh, their powerful preaching or their way of life. It wasn't their ambition to create a big movement and, and generate followers but rather it was the operation of the Spirit of God that caused their transformation into the image of Jesus, which then propelled them to proclaim Jesus and take this this transformational relationship that can only be found through an encounter with a real Savior and take that message of salvation and hope to change the entire world. Uh, Joel read for us. I'll just throw it up there real quick so we can just skim over that again. But in his initial call to the disciples... I want you to, let's, let's look at this in light of all these different backgrounds. Come and follow me. Will you step out? Step out of your comfort zone. Leave everything you have. Leave your parents. Leave your family. Leave your father. One, one says, well, I, you know, I've got to go take care of my father and you know, let the dead bury the dead, Jesus says. You know, come and follow me. And their response was yes. And in Luke 9, we see, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up the cross daily, and follow me. And in Luke 14 that Joel read for us. Large crowds. They're, they're all the disciples. People who believed in Jesus. They thought he was good. They, they got something out of his teaching. They thought that there's something about this man. He turned to them. Jesus turned to the, the large crowds and said. He's, he's thinning the herd here folks. Is what he's doing. He says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother. His wife and children. His brothers and sisters. Yes even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In that Luke 9 passage, um, the writer goes on to say that people should count the cost before starting that journey. Yeah, there is a cost, and it might be so great that some will choose not to follow Jesus at all. You know, even though you hear the call of God in your life, you understand that, well, I can't live like this anymore I don't think that I'm supposed to live like this anymore. So if I say yes to Jesus, my life is going to look different, and I'm not sure that I want to do that. But God has a way of getting our attention and grabbing us by the, the ears, like grandma or mama used to do, and he'll say, I, I'm, I've got something in store for you, and you're just not seeing it yet. But through love and patience and mercy and grace, he continues to call and make that beckon, beckoning call to us, just come. And follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In verse 20 of that, in Ephesians, um, you know, Paul, it, it, he's showing not, not to live as the Gentiles do. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of their ignorance, ignorance that results from having hard hearts. You know, given over to sensuality and indulge themselves in every kind of impurity, full of greed. Can we relate to any of that in, in today's world? I I think even myself, I'm so selfish, even as a Christ follower. You know, that's something that daily I have to be reminded of and, and remind myself that, man, I, I can't face all the temptations that we face throughout a day without asking Jesus for help and surrendering daily to say, God, I, I need your help. I've got to take up my cross and I've got to follow you so that people know um, what taking up my cross looks like. Ephesians 4.22 and 24. Again, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, Denying to self... Or dying to self is the same as selflessness. And in in your handouts, there we're getting ready to, um, or your, your notes. Uh, there's a lot of information on that first page. It starts off with the three the three things. What does it take to follow Jesus? So that's where we'll start. Okay. Um, there's a, when we hear the word follow. Come and follow me. There's there's three things. Let let, let me back up well, to better understand what it means. Let's consider all three of those phrases that Jesus says to come after me, to 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 um to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow me. Let's let's see what those that means. So to deny oneself, that's that's your first blank. We're talking about the sinful self, selfish worldly desires. Things that it's all about me, what makes me feel good, what you know, what can I do to get ahead, you know, whether at my job or at a personal goal Um, maybe it's a family kind of thing. And um, what, what what can I do for me? And Jesus is telling us to deny that self. And the second line there is taking up one's cross. What does that mean? The disciples would have been very familiar with what it means to take up your cross because the cross was a symbol of what? Death. Yeah, everybody knew what the cross stood for in that day. And when Jesus said, you have to take up your cross, bear your cross, and, and they, they heard that terminology, they automatically associated that with, wow, this is about dying. And now is this physical death? But what Jesus was showing them is there's a correlation between dying to yourself and selfishness desires and following me. But then there's also the spiritual side, which is more what Jesus was going for. It's common for people to talk about suffering today as the cross they must bear. And man, I've been guilty of that too. It's like, oh, especially when you're sick and you're you're hunched over and you're you're cramping or you're feverish and you just feel like you're at death's doorstep. And we cry out to God, oh God, if you'll just help help me pass. I promise I'll do whatever you ask me to do. If you just help me feel better right now in this moment. Anybody been there besides me? Yeah. I mean, something bad happens to your family. Uh, one of your friends abandons you at school, kids, and you think it's the end of the world. I'm not popular anymore. What am I going to do? So that's why we need to die to ourselves, take up our cross, as Jesus talked about daily. Then the last one there, number three, is following Jesus. And then below that, um, you can write following. And I wanted to give you that, that chart because there's such a correlation between the word follow and surrender. And so that, that's just for, for you to kind of read through. It's, if you follow someone, that means that you surrender your own will and say yes to them. So this is the kind of follow that we're talking about. This isn't a little kid's game playing hide-and-seek or Simon says, and follow me, and then and, and if you get tired, you just sit down because you want to take a break from, from the game. This is surrender. So as we, as we look at, at the meaning of following Jesus, I want us to think about what it means to surrender as we follow Jesus. In Leviticus 20, 26 uh, one of the Old Testament laws, Leviticus is a tough book to read. Linnell has been reading that lately and posted some things on Facebook about you know, just all of the laws and the sacrifices that people had to go through and the blood that was shed. And this is, this is something that's written back in Leviticus, that in God's words, you must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. But how can we be holy in a selfish, sinful world? We need a savior, and that's just what Jesus came to do. Let me pray and then um then uh let, let me let me just pray father we uh there there's a whole lot to unpack here, and um god i I don't count myself worthy by any standard um, it, to claim to have this all down and be exactly where I need to be in my walk daily, um, I have to be reminded constantly by your grace and your mercy and your discipline that uh, jeff you 're thinking about yourself and you're, you're not you 're not taking up your cross you 're not surrendered to me so so God, I pray that whatever you 're wanting to do here today uh, that it 's not only for me but but all who hear it, uh, Father, give us softened hearts to that we can apply this and, and take some practical knowledge away and uh, realize and, and examine our our relationship and our walk with you um, and just help us to be be holy because we know that that 's what you require. you demand us to live a holy life, and so God, we desperately need help, and you sent us just that in the name of Jesus and whose name we pray amen it 's sad but but true. Many in our churches today have bought into the world's, you know, lies that if we're good enough, uh, if we do nice things, um, we don't kill, we don't steal, we don't break the big laws of the Old Testament, then we earn God's favor. That we're pleasing the heart of God, and therefore, um, you know, he gives us a, a, an attaboy. And it's like, well, since, since your good outweighs your bad um, you're you're now welcome into my home. Many today have thought that saying the right words or praying a magical prayer is all it takes to have eternal life. Jesus calls us to way much more, uh, to so much more. He wants our very life. And just as he calls the disciples that come and follow me, that meant the disciples had to make a life-changing decision at that very moment. And according to his word, they didn't hesitate. Just like the little kid said at the end of that video, Jesus told them what to do, and they knew who he was. They were bought into to the idea that, man, this guy has been, we've heard about his coming. We're seeing him. He's calling me to him, and I can't help but to say yes, because what, what else have we got to lose? So I want you to watch this video, and uh, I just found this this week, and um, it really, really hits home in today's churches. So I don't know where you are but uh, let David Platt just speak into your life as you
1: watch this. So I've got this friend, I'll call him John. John's first exposure to the whole concept of hell was when he was watching a Tom and Jerry cartoon when he was younger. And what was intended to be this humorous cartoon all of a sudden turned into this hellacious nightmare when Tom did something bad to Jerry and was thrown into hell as a result. And later, John was at his church and he was talking with an older man about what he'd seen. And the older man looked at John and said, John, you don't want to go to hell, do you? John said, no. So the man looked back at him and said, okay, pray this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, John kind of paused for some awkward silence. And then he realized he was supposed to say exactly what the man had said. So he said, dear Jesus. And the man continued, I know that I'm a sinner Believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I ask you to come into my heart and save me. And then, when they were finished, the man looked at John and said, Son, now you can know that you are saved from your sins, and you don't ever have to worry about hell again. Is that true? Is this really what it means to become a disciple of Jesus? Is this really what it means to follow him? You look back at the first disciples in the Bible and when Jesus came up to them and said follow me, that was not an invitation to pray a prayer. That was a summons for these men to lose their lives. But somewhere along the way, 2,000 years later, amid varying cultural tides and popular church trends, we have virtually missed that call with good intentions, with sincere desires to reach as many people as possible for Jesus. We've taken challenging words from Christ and turned them into trite phrases in the church. And in the process, we've drained the lifeblood out of Christianity and replaced it with a watered down version of the gospel that is so palatable, it's not even real anymore. And the consequences are catastrophic. Scores of men, women, and children Culturally identify themselves as Christians today who biblically are not followers of Christ. Is that possible? Absolutely it is. In fact, according to Jesus, it's probable. He said at the end of his most famous sermon, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them, I never knew you. Away from me evildoers. Those are some of the most frightening words in all of the Bible. As a pastor, I stay awake some nights haunted by the thought that many people, many people who are sitting in church on Sunday will be shocked to stand before Jesus one day and hear him say to them, I never knew you. Away from me. We desperately need to take a look at our lives and our churches and ask the question, are we really biblically, personally following Jesus? Eternity is dependent on how we answer that question.
0: So I don't know what that speaks to your heart, but... um you know, as I watched that and I've had friends and I grew up in the church and I've seen, I've been in ministry for uh, 17, almost 18 years. And um, I've seen church people act so ugly and so hurtful. And it makes you wonder, it's like church should be the happiest, safest, most joy-filled place on the planet. And yet those, that selfishness, those desires for self and pleasing self and and putting others down instead of building others up. And we go contrary to what God has actually called us to do. Well, my prayer is that Riverwood is is a difference maker. That, that our churches here in Waverly, our churches in, in the state of Iowa, in the United States, that we would start having an awakening to where we realize what it means to follow Jesus. That we surrender to him and this life is not about us. You know, Jesus constantly told his people that if you will follow me, I, I, I will make you great. If you will lose your life, you will find it. But if you seek to find and save your life, then you will lose it. And so my challenge, one of my challenges today is that we would all examine just where we are in our relationship. Have you ever truly biblical, uh, biblically, sincerely personally had a relationship to where you have said yes to Jesus. And if not, the good news is that his invitation is open. I want to talk to the Christ follower for a little bit, and um, you can turn your handouts over your notes there, and we're going to start going through there. And I, again, don't get overwhelmed by the number of blanks. Um, I wanted to give you some practical application as we break down what it means to, uh, to die to self, uh, to, be, to take up our cross and follow him and be surrendered in our following. Um, and one way to do that is to talk about spiritual gifts and figure out how are we wired. If we believe that God made our intricate beings from the way that we think, the way that our body functions, we learned so much when we were going through our pregnancy with Haley that uh, just the way that the body works and if one small minute little detail is out of whack, that you know it can really mess some things up, but yet God, in His infinite mercy and wisdom, and His uh, His all supreme powerful being, uh, He created our bodies to do things that that doctors to this day still can't wrap their heads around. And um, how cool is that? And that this same Jesus, this same God, the same Creator that that created us, He's called us and he He has given each of us a, a separate thumbprint, a fingerprint, um, a different personality, a different makeup, different talents, gifts, um, spiritual gifts and he 's called us to be a part of his church to go out and, and make disciples, to go out and be his fishers of men and So I want us to look at some practical ways um, as we look at spiritual gifts. The first part is knowing your spiritual gifts and how how it helps us what 's the benefit of knowing? Uh, about our spiritual gifts and the first one number one is helps you understand god's will for your life so god's will what god has called you to do he is totally and 100 percent fully equipped you to do and um you know i could share my testimony but again this isn't about me and uh, my, my fingers and growing up and stuff like that, I thought the last thing I would ever do was lead guitar or play piano or do anything musically in front of people. You know, in my, in my bedroom, I was a rock star, you know, growing up, but I thought, there's no way, you know, and then I was in my late teens and God just kind of shook my life and, and these very words came to me that, man, what I've called you to do, I've equipped you to do. And then the same thing is what, what God has gifted us to do, he has called us to do. Uh, so there's two sides of that, that you are who you are for a bigger purpose than just to please self all the time. And to not let others enjoy the blessing of, of getting to see Jesus in you. Number two, helps you grow it helps you know what God has not called you to. How many of you have been stuck doing things that you just absolutely, I don't like this. I don't feel like I'm called to do it. I'm not gifted to do it. I don't feel like I'm any good at doing it. I'm doing one of those things right now. So yeah, I've struggled with the the call. I've struggled with the, you know, the, the desire. It's like, man, I would, you know God's giving me a message I would love to preach. And then whenever I get the opportunity, it's like, Oh, I just want to hunker down and ball up in a corner and say i don 't think no I don't i don 't think I can i don 't think i 'm really going to be good at it and um, but then i 'm reminded that you know man, God has given us each a testimony and a story and um but now if if you ask me to come and play lead guitar with i don 't know the eagles i 'm trying to pick uh, kids the kids don 't even know who the eagles are, but i don 't even know who the popular bands are Justin Bieber. You know, wouldn't want me dancing on his dance team, right? So everybody knows who Justin Bieber is, even the adults. That's the sad thing. Nobody knows. The kids don't know. Who's the Eagles or Alabama Beach Boys? You know, but um, so I, I wouldn't think about, uh, I'm not called to to be a dancer for a, a, a pop star. You know, I wouldn't even attempt it because that's not really my gifts. Although I used to break dance back in the day. And, uh. So it, it, knowing our makeup, knowing our spiritual gifts uh, helps us to understand even what we're not called to do, right? All right, number three, knowing your spiritual gifts relieves you from serving out of duty. Um, man, that's a tough one. That's tough. I've, I've chewed on that one a while, and it's like, you know, when when is it okay to serve out of duty just because there's a need versus be, being guilted into serving And then never finding or feeling like there's a way out. And I believe that God knows His church, you know, and and I'm speaking even from the perspective and through the lens of Riverwood being a fairly new church, a young church, and we don't have everybody to do everything that that we would love to do or that needs to be done in our community to reach people, like a full-blown youth ministry or a full-blown kids' ministry or the lights and the smoke and anything else that people think that you have to have as a church. But what I believe is that where two or three are gathered and Jesus is there, then that's what the church is, right? We don't have to have, we don't have, to have curtains, although in this room with the windows, we, we needed that for us. But we don't have to have stuff, you know. Give us a tree in an open field and and say, "Hey, y'all, come and let's we're gonna open and dive into God's word." And there's this there's this sense of freedom that you know what I'm serving because I, I love my church. I love being around the fellowship and enjoying and encouraging and upbuilding and and um, and watching God work through His people that He's brought together. So, but knowing our spiritual gifts helps and relieves us from serving out of duty. There's a difference when we want to serve and do something that we know that isn't our strength, but we're doing it versus we feel like we're being made to do it. You know, if you work a secular job or work any job, you've probably been there. You're having to do some things that aren't necessarily your favorite thing to do. Uh, number four, let's keep going. Helps you understand how the Holy Spirit works through you. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 states that we are laborers together with God. God will not do what he has commanded you and I to do, but at the same time, we cannot do what he has reserved as his authority. You and I cannot, no matter how eloquent we are in our speech, no matter how talented we are, there's not a song that I can sing, there's not a word that I can say that's going to cause you to be saved in, in your relationship with Jesus. That is only, that is he, God has reserved the right to send Jesus to die for you. And it's up to you and Jesus to work out that relationship and that nobody else can do that for you. And a lot of times we fall into this pressure of, well, my friends got saved at camp, so I went forward too. Or the pastor said that if I was going through a a terrible time in my life and they said that if I would just echo these words, that's all I need to do to be saved, but I've still got all these problems. So nobody can... Nobody can do this for you. Nobody can reveal your spiritual gifts that is strictly between the personal relationship between you and your Savior. Oh, What number are we on? Number five, fills a deeper inner need or void. Whichever word there works for you. But God has placed in the souls of humankind the need to serve others. Number six, it builds unity among Christians. I spoke to that a little bit earlier. There's, there's something exciting when the people of God get together for the purposes of God, and we, we set up tent. You know, we're setting up camp week after week. I know it gets hard, and man, I've, I've worked in church plants before, and week after week, and you think this really gets just old of having to set up, tear down, and, and we can't beat the Catholics to the restaurant because we still got to tear down, you know some of you chuckle but yeah but watching unity among christians as we as we come together and as we share laughs and we can joke as we're setting up and when when we you know when we encounter problems and things don't go right week after week and different things there's still a unified purpose and we figure it out together and it's what's the worst that can happen shut the lights off give me a candle and let's Let's read and pray and encourage together and draw closer to him. It's about Jesus showing up. Uh, Number seven, equips you to fulfill God's purpose for your life. So knowing your spiritual gifts, it equips you, it empowers you. um, It gives you boldness to do things that you wouldn't necessarily think that you could do or want to do on your own. So it equips you to fulfill God's purpose. Each one of us has been created with different gifts, talents, personalities, and out to outfit his church to accomplish his unique purpose for each. Uh, number eight, it adds to your self acceptance. I think a lot of people, because of peer pressure, whether you're young or, or the older you get, maybe the peer pressure doesn't have such an impact as, as it is whenever you're in your formable years and, you know, the early teens, young kids, and you're trying to fit in. And somebody says that, you know, I, I like this person better than you now because you're just not cool or you didn't make the cheerleading team or you're not one of the basketball stars. And so we all, we automatically, the world tells us these things and we start believing that, you know what, I'm not good at anything. I, I don't, I don't like myself. I don't, because of all this other stuff that's going on, I'm just not popular. I'm not I I just don't I can't do anything well. So knowing our spiritual gifts, God allows his spirit to w- do a great work in our life and he changes us uh, to be more like Christ and He gives us the self-acceptance when we we need it most. Alright, so let's break it down a little bit now to understand what spiritual gifts are. So the will of God is not. in understanding spiritual gifts, it, it leads us and points us to the will of God. So we're going to look at what the will of God is not first, and then we're going to take a look at what, what God's word says to us that this is the will of God. And we're going to see that none of it's really about us. Okay? So the will of God is not, number one, bad. He will not compromise our effectiveness to serve him. Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, God is not willing to deliver us from this present evil age that we're in now in order just to put us right back into misery right although a lot of Christians continue to live in misery because we think woe is me or my church just isn't doing this right we're not singing the right kind of songs i don't like the, the the version of the bible that the pastor preaches from so we get this woe is me and we think we we live more miserable as a christ follower than we did before we we knew him and so the will of god is not bad he's not going to contradict himself he's not going to compromise who you are in furthering his kingdom work. Number two, the will of God is not fixed. God has a plan for your life. We've heard that in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have, I have given you plans to prosper you and not to harm you. That doesn't mean you're going to be rich and prosperous, but we're going to be rich with things not of this world. So it's not fixed and there's not, um, I wrote down, God has many provisions in his will for our failures and shortcomings. He knows that I'm going to mess it up. And I think that he gives us a playground to play in and this is all part of the will of God and we can swing we can go to the teeter-totters. We can go on the merry-go-round thing or whatever that is or the seesaws. And we're, we can do different things at different times at different seasons in our life. And it doesn't mean that we're out of the will of God. So it's not this, all this undue pressure that we as Christians put on ourselves sometimes that if I don't, if this, this, I, I need to find the, the, the will of God for my life. And if I don't hit the bullseye, then I'm not in God's will. But God has made provisions Because you and I, whenever we miss the boat, uh, he's allowed the privilege of us to make some decisions and choices while still remaining in his will. That's kind of comforting. Uh, Number three, the will of God is not lost. So how to find the will of God? Searching for for God's will. Those are some book titles, some articles. You can do a search for finding the will of God and all kinds of junk is going to pop up like it's some lost item that we have to work so hard for to go out and find in and, and like a buried treasure somewhere. And we have to follow the exact course and the exact steps, seven steps to, to finding the will of God. You know, find happiness as you find the will of God. It's not lost. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I desire to do your will, my God. This is David writing in his prayer to, uh, to the Father. He says, your law is within my heart. And so the exciting news as a believer is that God's will for your life is a part of your very being already. It's not something that we have to go out and find. It's something that we just need to recognize. We simply need to learn to recognize what's already there. Number four, God's, the will of God is not revealed to others. Now, we can get confirmation of others. I know that I always appreciate and have appreciated you know, my grandparents or somebody just building me up or, or, or my parents or close friends and say, man, you, you really do a great job at that. I mean, that's all nice, but how many times you, you see on everybody watch, um, what is it, uh, American Idol's probably the best version because some of the people they have auditioned for that show. And I'm like, is this a joke? I think they do this on purpose to allow some of these people to get through. But, you know, some of them say, well, my grandma tells me I'm a great singer. It's like, well, that's that's great, but you come out here in a chicken suit, and you're not singing, and your grandma may think that's funny, and that she may affirm that, that, man, you are awesome, and you need to do this. But the call and the will of God isn't going to come from somebody else telling you what you want to hear. It's going to, to come from you recognizing how the Spirit has created you, who you are, and how he's made you already. Uh, number five, uh, the will of God is not based on circumstances. We usually use circumstances for major decisions and then trust in our own intelligence and to make the, the little decisions in life. Usually we'll put out the fleece and say, Okay, God, if you want me to do this, then you have to do this. Some Christians can make life-altering decisions based on circumstances, but most of us can probably not not do that. And it takes a tremendous amount of faith when the pressure is on to make the big life-changing decisions. So don't let the circumstances determine your walk with God and, and in his will for your life. Uh, and then the last one there, the, God's, the will of God is not contrary to his word or contrary to God's word. The bottom line is that anything that is contrary to God's word is contrary to his will. So if we can't rely on the knots to help us recognize God's will, uh, and we're, we're about to, to wrap up, then we can look to scripture, his word, the Bible that tells us Exactly what God's word says is his will for us. So God's will for your life is that you be, here's number one, saved. Bottom line, hands down, that is why he sent his only son, Jesus, to come for you and I. is not because he just wanted to, to uh, you do a, a test or a science experiment. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus to this world to die for you that we may come to know him and spend eternity with him. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Number two, God's will for your life is that you be sanctified. It's kind of a big word. But um, sanctified just simply means set apart. You know, we talked about the difference between apostles and Jesus speaking to large crowds and, and weeding that out. And it's like some of you are just here because it's the popular thing to do. It's, it, you're, you're jumping in with a crowd. But, if, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm separating you out. I'm calling a few of you to be totally different from everybody else around you so that you can be set apart to share his glory and to shine, shine his light. Um, Number three, God's will for your life is that you be spirit-filled. Sometimes in in non-charismatic churches, uh, we can can hear that word, that phrase, and we can get a little scared and uncomfortable. But I believe that as Jesus is kind of explaining this to his disciples... That be controlled by the spirit. if you ever um, I grew up in a long line of law enforcement officers. I was a part-time officer for a while, and I still love watching cops and it drives my wife crazy and uh, but there's something when the sirens go by the house, I'm just like perked up like a dog. It's like something's happening and, and I, I, I I need to go chase it. you know I want to see what's happening. but um, the, the example that Jesus uses being spirit filled here is It's kind of like if, if you have ever seen a drunk person take a field sobriety test, and if I'd have been thinking about this, we could have had Officer Carey come up and, and try to do that with somebody'd spin you around a couple of times and blindfold you and then see if you could stand there and keep your balance. Well, if somebody's given over to too much alcohol, then what's controlling their life at that moment the alcohol right so this is saying that to be spirit filled means that, you know, we're not in control of ourselves, but, but Jesus is telling his disciples and he's using the illustration of don't be overtaken by too much alcohol. It's not, he's not saying to don't have, don't have a glass of wine, okay? He's saying that don't let that consume you and control your life to where you don't have any control of yourself, but instead, you know, let, Be spirit-filled. Let the Spirit control who you are, control your actions, your attitudes, your your speech, um, how you go about your daily walk. Number four, God's will for your life is that you be submissive. The Scripture reference there for you is 1 Peter 2. It says, uh, this speaks to submitting to authority for the Lord's sake. Scripture says that we should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish. Some people need a good hushing sometimes, right? But the worst thing that a Christ follower can do is to act just like them. The best thing that we can do is through grace and through mercy, through truth, but speaking truth in love. We, his word says that if we're spirit-filled and the Spirit is controlling our life, and that we're, we're living, um, understanding the will of God and who he's made us to be and how he's made us, then... it it silences the ignorant talk of the foolish. We shouldn't have a rebellious spirit, which is one of the first things that outsiders will spot in you. Um, And I jotted this down. You can never become a good leader until you become a good follower. Um, I've always enjoyed leadership opportunities and and training seminars and things like that. And uh, that is so true. Unless you're willing to follow and listen to others around you. I think Andy Stanley once said, we have somebody, I don't work in a Christian office at all in my secular job. But somebody posted on this little public bulletin board, uh, a quote from Andy Stanley. It said, good leaders, how, how is it? I'm going to get it wrong, but you'll get the idea. Um, if, if a leader is not willing to listen to anyone, then eventually he will be surrounded by people with nothing to say. And, and you know, every time I walk past that, I look because, man, I wish some of our leaders would take that to heart. Because there's a lot of things that we have to say. But at the same time, how we say it as a, as a Christ follower, as representatives of, of Jesus himself and shining that light, the way that we conduct and present ourselves to the world uh, is going to speak volumes to a watching world who's just waiting to, to ridicule and criticize the church. Amen. Uh, number five, I think, is where we left off. God's will is that you suffer. That doesn't sound like much fun, but many times in Scripture it talks about suffering and how we need to rejoice in it. Uh, James and First Peter talks about that. Uh, rejoice in, in that your sufferings, because you're doing good for the sake of, of Christ, and um, be set apart from the world. Be sanctified, set apart. Uh, number six, that you serve. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he goes on to say, don't conform to the patterns of the world, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he wants us to serve with joy. He wants us to serve his kingdom work. Here's here's a quote for you. God will never reveal to you His unrevealed will if you aren't willing to do His revealed will. First Peter four ten says that each has received a special gift, so employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the grace of God. Now, some of you, we've talked a, a couple of different things. You know, the first video that we watched, you know, talked about. Um, you know, uh, the unbelievers. Churches are full of unbelievers or people who have said magic words and your life hasn't looked any different today than it did before that. You know, we've tried to do good putting one foot in front of the other and that doesn't, we, we still feel like there's a disconnect. And here's number seven, that God's will for your life essentially is whatever you desire. And you think, well, doesn't that just contradict everything else that you've set up to this point? And at first I thought, it's really interesting how this has come together because this isn't... He's not talking about our selfish ones. In Psalm 37, 4, one of my favorite verses, it talks about, "...delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart." And so I have prayed that prayer before in making ministry decisions, in making just life, family decisions. It's like, okay, God, you know, this is really what I feel like we're wanting... And then, you know, the more I come to realize what that verse is actually saying, that it's not about what I want, it's God's giving me the desires that I want, because as I live in him, and he lives in me, and he's filling me with his life, he's making me different, so he's giving me the desires so that I can't make a wrong choice. If my heart and my relationship is lined up with him the way that it needs to be, then I can't go wrong. Proverbs 3, 6 says that he, not we, will make our paths straight. Then in Proverbs 16, verse 3, it says we read, um, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. You see, when we're living our life out of a desire to please God and not man, when we, uh, you know, the passage is a really strong word, and I've looked for different translations, but um, in that passage, you know, the Luke chapter 14, where it says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must hate his own father and mother, that word hate, and I just, that kept screaming at me, because we've always told our girls, like, that's not a word that we use, we don't hate anybody, we don't hate anything, you can dislike something, but hate is just a really strong word, and almost every translation that I looked at um, uses that word, hate, and so this isn't saying that, that you have to hate to death, like, like that we think of the word hate, a father and mother and family. But what this is saying that Jesus, if he isn't first in your life, then we're not worthy to be his followers. And so sometimes that means answering a call that maybe you're young and you think, man, I'm going off to college, but I just feel like God's doing this in my life, but I know my mom and dad have their hearts set on me doing this. And you taking that stand because of your relationship and the God's call in your life or, or maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's something that, you know, a family does together, but your other family members are looking at, it, at you like, you are crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you sell your house and move to Iowa uh, to, to go to a part-time church plant and take a secular job? Why would you do that? And so it's interesting. Whatever you desire, if you commit to the Lord, whatever you do, he will make your path straight. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy because taking up your cross daily sometimes hurts. Following Jesus, sometimes you don't have any idea what path he's leading you down, but we can trust because one thing is true that he never led his disciples astray. He constantly loved them. He coached them. He he pleaded with them. He taught them life lessons that, that changed everything about them. Sometimes we don't know what the road ahead looks like. But he continues to call us to come. Will we respond to that call? Once we say yes to him, our lives will and shouldn't ever look the same. Just like the disciples, you know, an encounter and walk with Jesus, it does change everything. But there's one more video that I want to show you as as I close, and I'm done. None of this is really going to make sense to you if you're sitting out there and you've never said yes to the call of Jesus in your life. Some of this, I mean, it's going to be, yeah, good words. It makes sense. I can see the logic behind of it. But it's not going to really hit home and make sense until you understand that Jesus loves you to the point of death. And this very moment, he's showing up as we sing our God is able. Our God is stronger. Our God is healer. He's bigger than anything and everything we can face. And yet today, He's looking at your life. He's speaking to your heart and says, would you just come and follow me? I want you to watch this video. And then um, then we're going to close and wrap up and, and sing a few
2: more songs. Go ahead and watch this. Why did Jesus have to die? You know, that's a question that we all ask at some point, and I want to explain it in a way that might make sense with a visual. You see, Jesus, Jesus came to take the punishment of our sin, the sin that you have done or would ever do. That's what he came to do. And see, you here look pretty good. I mean, come on, you look nice and clean, just the way you were meant to be. Oh, I could drink you up. But we've all done stuff that we shouldn't do. We've all sinned in different ways. And the problem is, is when we sin and we bring sin into our lives, it changes us. It changes who we are. And suddenly there's elements in us that weren't meant to be there. Maybe it's, maybe it's bad attitudes or you, you yelled at your parents or you lied to a friend or you cheated on a test or, or you hurt someone or you hurt yourself, whatever it might be. It's not the way you were meant to be. And God, God saw this and he didn't want it to be this way. He said, this was not how I intended you to be. So God had a perfect rescue plan. And that rescue plan was Jesus. Now Jesus was perfect. He he came and he lived a perfect life. He was without sin. So the question was, what would happen if Jesus took the sin of the whole world, all of the sin and put it in himself? And so he went to the cross. And he took our sin and Jesus took all that sin and put it in himself. (laughs) But that's the thing is Jesus took our sin to the grave, but then he left it there. He left that sin in the grave and he came back with new life for all of us. And he was still perfect and pure and blameless and everything that we needed. And so you With all of our sin and with all that's inside of us, you have the ability to say yes to Jesus because we don't need sin anymore. Sin has been defeated by the power of the cross and what Jesus did and the power of his resurrection. And so when you say yes to Jesus and you ask him to fill you with his power, (laughs) it changes everything. Jesus brings freedom you couldn't have taken this out on your own you could not remove the sin from yourself only Jesus could do that because he died and rose again to defeat the power of sin and bring us true freedom and that's why Jesus had to die
0: so how do you respond today where are you at? Have you ever come to that place in your life to where you know without any doubts at all that if I were to die today, if I left this safe place and, and, and never took another breath, would I spend eternity with Jesus in heaven? I don't know where you are. That's between you and God. Maybe you've said those words before under some some preacher's words that said, if you'll just echo this prayer, that's all it takes. And Jesus says just the opposite. Yes, you let your yes be yes and come after me. But our salvation is so much more than just words. It's so much more than just saying yes. That's how it starts, is that we have to say yes. But the good thing is that Jesus calls us just the way that we are. He doesn't say, you need to fix yourself. This has to line up right. You need to find my will first so that you can see how you fit into my plan. And then come, he says Right where you are, guys, get out of that boat and come follow me. And so, church, are you willing to step out of the boat today and say yes to Jesus? Maybe for the very first time. You know, maybe you, you're at a place and your your walk just hasn't been honoring to God. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. And you know, we don't um, we don't normally give an invitation invitation at Riverwood, but what I feel like. God wanted me to do today is just after presenting this and we're talking about finding and and recognizing the will of God in our life and understanding our makeup and what he's trying to do, I just can't help but think that, man, there's there's maybe somebody here that's just been struggling to find their way and struggling to just give in and say yes to Jesus. So maybe that's for you. I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand and sing. I'm going to be down front and actually, Joel and Jess, if you guys wouldn't mind, I know this is totally last minute, but just as a couple, would you mind coming down? And just if anybody wants, if you're comfortable in talking with a couple and having them pray with you, maybe you just need, just need a hug. You know, maybe you just need somebody just to wrap their arms around you and, and agree with you in prayer that our family's going through this. And um, you know, I, I know their hearts. And uh, I'm going to be down here as well and maybe you maybe you want to know more about what do I need to do what to to say yes to Jesus if I make that decision right now today God's working on me will you walk me through that And for those of you who are already confident in you, in that relationship with Jesus and you know that he lives in your heart you know we're going to we're going to go ahead and take communion and during this song or the next two songs at any point uh, you can make your way over to the table but but we're just going to be down front and if anybody at all, during, there, we'll, we'll invite you all to stand here in a second. We'll sing. So nobody's going to be poking fingers and making fun because we're all on the same playing field, right? None of us are righteous, not one. So let me pray. And then we're just going to ask you to respond in only the way that Jesus is asking you to, okay? Father, thank you for your word. I know that uh, I have no idea what time it is. And so it could be, long and I may have just killed it because of the length of time, but Lord, I'm trusting you that you would move in the hearts of the men and women, the boys and girls here in this room today. Father, that as we seek to live a life pleasing to you in this world that we live in today, God, that we would just trust that when you say come and we say yes, that you carry us through those difficult times. You, you bless us with things that we could never even see on our own. So God, I pray that today as we encounter you, is through your word, through singing songs and proclaiming your greatness, that, that you would truly just show up and change everything in us. So God, thank you for this time. Just continue to work in the lives of those people here and just uh, help us to honor you in our response in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and you can make your way to the table or we'll be over here if you just need, need that.